good. Am I on? Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Great. Good morning. So, I'm sure you've all been in, uh, either been in a conversation uh, with someone who uh, says that they don't believe in God, or maybe this morning you as well would say that you don't believe in God. But what God do you mean? What God are you talking about? It might surprise you to hear that it's quite possible that I don't believe in the same God too, that I would agree with you. The God that's so often uh, talked about in the media, in the world today, I don't believe in that God either. He's often portrayed as, as quite stingy, distant. I don't believe in that God either. And if you say that you do believe in God, what God do you believe in? What God do you say you believe in? If you've been coming to Portswood these last three Sundays, you'll know that we're going through a series at the moment about our generous God. And it's been really refreshing, hasn't it? It's been, it's been a treat to think about all of the things that, well, actually, sorry, not even all of the things, just some of the things that God uh, gives us and to reflect on his generous character. And um, the subject we're going to look at today, the passage, I think is again really exciting and, and such a treat, and I hope that we'll, um, we'll discover it together and be excited about the God we believe in. So let's, um, let me just pray as we look in at God's word. Father, thank you so much for um, this passage that we're going to look at this morning, and I pray that as we get into it, that you would uh, reveal yourself, Jesus, to us, that we may be excited and thankful and our hearts may sing as we um, just are amazed at everything you've done for us. Amen. Great. So this morning we're going to look at, uh, we're going to read a passage in the book of Ephesians. So that's a a book in in the New Testament, so the second half of the Bible. It's a letter written by a man named Paul. He, he wrote many of the, the letters in the New Testament. And he's writing to a group of churches in Ephesus. And uh, this letter probably would have gone from church to church and would have been read in, um, in big meetings. A bit like here, basically. A bit like we're doing this morning. So let's read together Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And Tim is going to read that for us. Just 1 to 3. Thank you. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Thank you very much, Tim. Great. So the page number is on there. I hope you managed to find it. 1173 if you're still looking. Sorry about that. Great. So Paul starts here by describing the previous state of his readers, the Christians in Ephesus. It's not great, is it? You know, he's talking about the Christians here in, in Ephesus, but to be honest, he could just as well have been talking about us Christians here in Portsmouth this morning or even you this morning, if you're not yet what Paul calls in Christ. And we'll get on to that in a little bit later. 
So what does he say? Well, first of all, first of all, Paul says that the Christians in Ephesus were dead. Well, clearly he doesn't mean physically dead. Otherwise, it'd be a bit of a waste of a letter, wouldn't it? Um, He means spiritually dead. He means he deliberately uses the word dead because it's got quite a strong meaning, doesn't it? It literally means no life, no life whatsoever. Paul is trying to inform his readers that they were completely dead spiritually. They were powerless and hopeless, and so were we. Secondly, Paul says... Paul explains that sin had a bondage over us, that we were slaves to sin. Verse 2. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What does it mean to be uh, slaves to sin? It means that sin, our rejection of God, has a hold on our lives. In the culture at the time, slavery was was quite common, really. Slaves had an obligation to follow the orders of their masters. So in the same way, it was impossible for us not to resist evil and turn away from those rebellious ways. Paul goes on to say that there are three influences in our lives. The first, he says, is our environment. He calls it the ways of the world. We conform to the ways of the world. That's what it says in verse 2. The world around us has a big influence on us, doesn't it? And not always in a positive way. Our friends, television, neighbours, the social clubs that we're part of. We're aware that they have an influence and affect our thinking and our behavior. The second influencer, I don't know why I keep looking over there, it's not there. (laughs) Um, The second influencer, a supernatural opponent. Paul calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's another name for the devil. In the ancient world, the air was this this area between earth and heaven. It was where the the evil spirits dwelt. And so the the devil was, if you like, the the ruler of these evil spirits. We often forget it, don't we? But we are in a spiritual battle. In fact, the devil would would be quite happy for us to forget that we're in a spiritual battle. He's at work, and he had a hold on our lives. And the third one, um, thirdly, The cravings of our flesh. In this context, um, flesh doesn't mean a a person's physical body, but it's our humanity. It's our our inner sinful, rebellious nature against God. Here, the the influencer is is our own selves, our inner being, our inner desires. We were slaves to our own sinful desires, the sinful desires of our hearts. We were, you know, quite turned in on ourselves, quite selfish, preoccupied by our own desires. Now, if we are now in Christ, if we're saved by Jesus, then these three no longer have that hold on us, as we'll go on to see in a little minute. But um, we can still, you know, they can still try and bring us back down 
into our old way of living, can't they? The world around us, our environment, the desires of our hearts, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, we need to be aware of these influences, these things that, that, have a, or that try and have a hold on our lives. So, we've seen that uh, we were dead, spiritually dead, and we've seen that slaves to sin, we've seen these influences that, were, uh, that had a hold on us. And thirdly, as if that wasn't bad enough, we see that uh, we're condemned, Paul says, deserving of wrath in verse 3. This means that we were deserving of God's judgment. This wasn't simply because we'd done one or two wrong things, but actually... We'd rejected God's rightful lordship in our lives. We'd rejected God's lordship in our lives and deserved the consequences. The ultimate punishment for rejecting God is what we call hell. What do we mean by hell? Well, we don't know the exact details, but we do know that hell is characterized by the total absence of God. So when we reject God and say we don't want him, in a way, he gives us what we've asked for. His total absence in our lives. And by consequence, a total absence of the good things that he gives us too. Because these all come from God. It's important for us to understand just how much we deserve God's wrath. Because it's only when we grasp the measure of his wrath that we can begin to understand the magnitude of mercy towards us. But we'll come on to that a bit later. So we've seen that we were dead, slave to sin, condemned, and deserving of God's wrath. Not fun. I thought I I said it was going to be a treat. (laughs) Sorry, we'll get there. Um, But yeah, as I was saying, you know, it's important that we understand. In order to enjoy the privilege of this newfound status, you know, in order to enjoy it, we need to reflect carefully on the condition from which we've been rescued. So let's go on and uh, see how Paul describes how we've been changed. Um, Yeah, thank you, Charlotte. It's going to read to us uh, Ephesians two four to ten. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and, then, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. To do good. Wait, wait to do. Yeah, that's great, that's thank it. you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, it's a striking contrast, isn't it? Our new sta- status could not be more different. We were dead 
And then Paul says, we're now made alive. We were followers of the ways of the world and under the lordship of the kingdom of the air. But now we are in relationship with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. Wow. Yeah? What does, it, what does he mean, seated in the heavenly realms? Uh, it's pretty clear that right now I am probably not physically seated in the <laughs> physically realms. Um, but if you... Um, oops, sorry. But if, you, but if we um, knew uh, the language a little bit better, we could see that the verb here is in the past tense. So we can't just say, oh, that's something for later. You know, that's not uh, just something to later. It's, you know, the Bible often has these, these things that, um, these sentences, these promises that apply to us now, and they also have a, a future, not yet, aspect to them too. Um, in the now, one of God's promises has been sort of partly accomplished, and then in the future, it can be uh, completely accomplished, brought to complete fulfillment. In this instance, we're already sat in heavenly realms in the sense that we are close and can enjoy being at God's sight. We can enjoy that closeness already. But in the future, we will also enjoy that physical, physically sat in the heavenly realms. And that will be amazing. So what we're saying is that we can already start to enjoy the privilege now, but there's more. Yeah? Our salvation has that now and not yet. There's more to come. Exciting, isn't it? So we deserved God's wrath, but now we're saved by his mercy. In effect, God doesn't give us what we rightly deserve. It would have been entirely right for us to receive his wrath. We completely deserved it. But God is rich in mercy and grace. Paul makes a a small side point, if you like, in verse 3. He says that little, like the rest of us. Just to make it absolutely clear and to leave us no doubt that this is offered for all. Whether we're Jew, non-Jew, British, poor, or rich, or parent or child. There's no distinction made here. In fact, this passage, again, like we've seen a few, for a few weeks, has a lot to say, doesn't it, about our identity. The passage says that previously, outside of Christ, we were spiritually dead. But now in Christ, we are alive and seated in the heavenly realms. If someone were to ask you, you know, who are you? How would you reply? Or maybe you'd start with your name. That might be a good place to start. But after that, what would you say? Maybe you'd say your job. Maybe you'd say, I'm an electrician or a florist or I work in a shop. Or maybe you'd say, I have three children or three grandchildren. Or maybe you'd say, I'm divorced, married or single. But that's not how God chooses to define us. And that's really important for us to hear, especially if, you know, Maybe you struggle with low esteem. You need to hear that you are in Christ. You are alive and seated in the heavenly realms. We can't ask for more than that, can we? Sorry, I've been uh, forgetting my clicker. So that's afterwards. Yeah, great. So next question we're going to look at is how. 
How does this change happen? We've seen how it was like before. We've seen how it was like after. We've seen the incredible contrast. How does this change happen? Entirely God. Okay? This is not in any way down to human effort. Paul makes that abundantly clear, doesn't he? He tells us it's by grace and by faith. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Salvation is by grace through faith. And even that faith itself is a gift from God himself. It neither originated nor is affected by the receiver. It's a complete gift. Paul goes quite a long way to try and make this point quite clear. Great, I need a a volunteer. Matt, would you mind helping me? (laughs) Nicely volunteered. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm going to give you this apple, okay? See what Matt did? Matt lifted his arm, as expected, okay? Now, I want you to imagine that you can't even lift your arm yourself, okay? Right? So I'm going to give Matt this apple... And I'm going to help him to receive it. Okay? Matt is still receiving it, but he can't even accept it himself. He needs me to help him. Okay? Thank you, Matt. You can keep the apple if you want. <laughs> Don't scrunch it too loudly while I'm talking. Thank you. <laughs> Do you see how it's similar? So God is giving us this salvation, and we're receiving it, but we can't even receive that ourselves. Even that is a gift from God. Okay? So literally, how does God transform us? Well, just a bit further in the passage that we've read this morning, in verse 13, it tells us, by the blood of Christ. We read together that we were deserving of of wrath, didn't we? But Jesus, through his blood, through the death on the cross that we celebrate so often together, took upon himself this wrath that we deserved so that we could be forgiven. For what? Verse 10, for good works, it says. God has prepared good works in advance for each one of us. This gives us great purpose, doesn't it? God has a purpose for you in your life right now. Whatever sort of stage, whatever you're going through, God has prepared good works in advance. Now, These good works can't in any way be the grounds for salvation. Paul is very clear on that, isn't he? In verse 8 and 9. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No, the good works are the fruit, not the basis or the cause. They're the fruit of us being transformed by Jesus. But it's true that we should be expecting to see these good fruits in our lives. Our attitude and our behavior are to, are to show the hallmarks of what God has done in us. Now, Paul uh, sort of wraps this whole passage, if you like, with two bookends. Um, he, it's not in this translation that we've, that we've read, but he starts it by saying that we were walking in our transgressions. And at the end, the bit we've just re- read, he says we are now walking in good works. He envelopes the whole passage here to show this contrast. 
the change that's happened. We were walking in our transgressions and sins, and now we're walking in these good works. So what does this mean for us? Well, if we're saved by Christ, we should live differently. Because we've been saved by Christ, that old way of living, where we're following the ways of the world, that's, that's no longer appropriate. We should, as Paul says, accomplish good works, the good works that Paul has planned for us to do. What are these good works? Well, I think they're going to be a bit different for each person, but 1 Corinthians 10.31 gives us a bit of an idea. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. What's that going to look like? Well, yeah, I think it's going to be different for each person. But maybe you're going to love a brother and sister and maybe welcome them into your home and cook them a nice meal. Or maybe when you're at work, you know, everyone else has left, but you're going to stay right till the end of, of work time because you know, even though no one can see you, you're living for God's glory. Or maybe you're going to look after the homeless. Or serve at, you know, maybe even by serving at breakfast club. You know, all these things for God's glory. For everyone, I think they're going to be slightly different. But what does living for God's glory, what does doing everything for God's glory look like in your life? How does this apply to you? Why are we saved? Because God. Simply because God. Let's read verses 4 and 7 again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow, did you notice all those things? His mercy, his great love, his rich grace, his kindness to us in Jesus. Do you get the point? He acted on our behalf simply because of his own gracious and merciful character. He did it because that is who he is, and that is the way he did it. He is. That's what he does. Micah 7, 8, uh, 7, 18, yep, that's right. Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. The Bible tells us that he takes great pleasure in mercy. God didn't have a a duty or or an obligation, no sort of predetermined rule that meant that he had essentially no choice and he had to save us. No. That's simply the way that he is, and that's simply what he likes to do. That's his character. We've seen it a few times in this series, haven't we? He's generous. He's generous. Abounding, overflowing in love, rich in mercy, a close God, and a God who chooses to reveal himself to us. 
So if we come back to the question at the beginning, where we said, you know, what God do you believe in? This is the God that we believe in. This generous God, abounding in mercy, who delights in mercy. When I was uh, growing up, I used to like to have jam on, jam on my toast. And uh, <laughs> my parents used to carefully watch me as I'd put my jam on my toast. If I put a little bit too much, <laughs> they go, oh, that's enough, that's enough. And to be fair, they were right. You know, jam is, <laughs> too much jam probably isn't a good thing. But is that the only way that we relate to God? Is that the only way that we relate to God? Do we just see him as someone that's stingy, someone that's going, whoa, not too much fun? Or do we, or do we enjoy God, the God who really likes to give us? Yeah? <laughs> the God who's overflowing, the God who just likes to give us so much. I think God probably would say about the jam, maybe that's too much. But, but, <laughs> but there are so many other areas where he's giving abundantly, isn't he? You know, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. I like the word lavish. It means bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. Extravagant quantities. Yes, of course, God is also our ruler. And the rules, actually, that he sets are very good. But he's also a generous, abundant, overflowing who bestows extravagant quantities. We need to enjoy that aspect of him too. Yeah? Um, I was driving back on, on Monday and I heard um, an interview on the radio with, a, with an astronaut and I just thought, this is cool. So, um, Howard, if you're able to play it for me. So it was just a, an astronaut called Karen Nyberg. And listen to what she has to say. program now hearing from astronaut Karen Nyberg again. Now she's an astronaut who has spent 180 days in space. She's a veteran of two trips to the International Space Station. So how would she cope being quizzed by children from Moorfield Primary School in Stockport? What does Earth look like from space? Earth from space is the most beautiful thing you could ever see. It's hard to describe in words, and pictures never show exactly just how beautiful it is. The colors are amazing, the color of the water, the color of the sand in the deserts, uh, the mountains with the snow on top, 
It is most the, the most beautiful thing, and my favorite is watching sunrise and sunset, where you see the darkness, the terminator of the where the sun is just going down, just creep across the earth until there's nothing left but this thin blue line. It's absolutely beautiful. seen pictures of the earth from space before and almost seen so many that maybe we're unaffected you know we, we kind of see them and don't even uh, realize you know how incredible it is anymore but what I love about this interview with with the astronaut Karen Nyberg is that she says that pictures never show how beautiful it is the colors the water the mountains the snow she says it's the most beautiful thing you could ever see And she says it's hard to describe in words. We have a God who doesn't do half measures. If you want an example of that, I think that's it. When he was creating, he made something beautiful. He has lavished extravagantly great love on us. So, what does this mean for us? Um, Well, All that we've seen this morning is great, but what does this mean for us in our day-to-day? The reason that we learn all of this about God, and in fact, the reason that God chooses to reveal these things to us about himself, is that so we can know him better, so that we can worship him more fully. We can worship him in greater knowledge of his power, his generosity, and knowing everything that he's done for us. We were dead, enslaved, bonded to sin by the world around us, our heart's desires and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But now we are seated in the heavenly realms, close to this generous, loving, abundant God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, wow. Thank you so much for that transformation that you've done in in me and those of us that are in you, Jesus. We realized this morning what a a mess we were in. We realized this morning that we were dead, powerless, hopeless. And then we realize what you've done. We realize that we are so undeserving of it. That you, Jesus, came and did that for me. Thank you for that closeness that we can enjoy with you. Thank you for being seated in the heavenly realms. We just want to 
Thank you so much for your generosity. Amen.